Hello and welcome to All Systems Argo. Today we're looking at 1992 Best Picture winner, Silence of the Lambs. Most folks have seen this horror thriller, and some have its masterful performances by Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins ingrained in their memory. Silence of the Lambs tells the story of FBI trainee Clarice Starling, as she's pulled into an investigation requiring her to interview Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a violent psychopath and cannibal who happens to have been a brilliant psychiatrist. Under the wing of Jack Crawford, the head of the Behavioral Science Unit, Clarice consults Hannibal to stop the murderer known as Buffalo Bill. We would like to present a trigger warning to our audience as this episode discusses transphobia. But without further ado, stay with us as we learn if any movie can be as thrilling as Ben Affleck's Argo. Hey everybody and welcome to All Systems Argo. <laughs> our systems are go... <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I missed that. Try, try that, please give me that one again. More like All Systems are go... Now, who is the derailed. who is the our goat? <laughs> I'm gonna need you to not interrogate this, Jamal. <laughs> well, uh, you've already heard, of course, my co-host Jess Jessicel. Jess, how are you? <laughs> I am feeling phenomenal uh, after watching Argo for uh, the millionth time. Which time is this? I legit can't remember. And that okay. is the point of the first pod. time. First time. <laughs> <laughs> Just an existential horror of watching Argo over and over again. Sixth? Is this the sixth? Sixth time? Maybe. <laughs> you were saying ninth earlier. It wasn't um, ninth. It was, uh, it I, was, I believed ninth. it. Like, I, I, I it felt like the ninth. You've already heard our, our today's guest. Today's guest, Nick Vaccaro. Nick, how are you? Hi. Hello, hello. I am very good. Thanks. I am energized at 11.04 p.m. Um, after watching Argo. <laughs> I did see, like Jamal, I, I saw it once as a kid, and I thought it was really good and interesting and fun. This is the second time I've seen it. And I gotta say, it's not as how I remember. Are you saying it didn't hold up? Are you saying it's not as interesting and fun? I'm saying that the the parts that I thought were different and interesting and made it memorable are neither. <laughs> neither interesting nor fun. Yes. I, I, I don't mean to rag on it entirely because I don't again, I don't think it's terrible. I just um <laughs> best picture. Best picture. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're not you're not on board with it being the best picture. Winner for the 2012 Oscars. <laughs> Nick, are you telling me that there's something else out there that should have won that year? I'm sure there's something else that was <laughs> I mean, in the, just, was just in the running. We'll just do it again because we do it almost every episode. I'm just going to run really, really quickly through the other movies that could have won Best Picture. By the way, I have not mentioned this before. Seth MacFarlane hosted the Oscars this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> he did. Amazing. This was the year he had a song called We Saw Your Boobs about actors, actresses' nude scenes, which Ow. is no. intensely cringy and terrible. Holy shit. I forgot that that existed until I just now. I didn't know that it existed is, until just did. now. Uh, and it's, that's uh, not great. My man, Seth. Uh, so for the, 20, the 85th Academy Awards in 2013, but for 2012, it won against Amour, 
Beasts of the Southern Wild, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty, and Django Unchained. <laughs> At least four of those are straight up instantly better, in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's funny when an opinion turns out to be a fact. You do have a couple fake fake good movies in there, though. Like you got Zero Dark Thirty. And <laughs> I have Zero Dark Thirty, which is somehow grosser than Argo. Yeah, you have Silver Linings Playbook that's like fake good. Um, you have Lincoln, which is just good. this movie. Just the white like between this and and lincoln you got like every middle-aged white guy actor in hollywood in for the in for the 85th oscars should we talk about it now or later is it oscar bait we can, we can start i mean if anybody's listening this far into the podcast they already get the concept if this is your right. first episode i'm sorry Listen to any other one. Let's just get into it. <laughs> Let's just hop right into it. Is this Oscar bait? I mean, kind of? Uh, yeah. Basically, yes. There is a such a large contingent of this movie focused on letting us know how movies work. There's a lot of Hollywood in this movie for no good reason. Oh, I'm yawning for no good reason. Sounds like you fell in a chasm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you did mention during the movie, Nick, that um, the Hollywood stuff did not feel like it needed to be there for you. I remember that's the thing when I saw it the first time. I remember that being like the fun part, the zazzy part, the part that was different and interesting. I'm like, oh man, what a what a what a kooky plan. That just might be crazy enough to work. Which they actually say in the movie. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Honestly, like word for word. But um, yeah, it's just seeing it the second time. It doesn't take up that big of a chunk that I remember. I just remember it more. And I remember it more because it was just a bunch of like swearing and <laughs> zingers. And Alan Arkin <laughs> just... And John Goodman just being themselves. And they're just kind of being cantankerous <laughs> and like i don't know i guess it's funny amidst a very unfunny movie yeah well it is interesting that there are really two really specific modes of the movie and mode one yeah. is the first hour which is funny it's it's either it's white guys walking and talking and swearing and being very over the top sort of west wingy dialogue or it's right. the hollywood stuff and then the second half is um the exfil uh, yes. Yes. Which is basically let's go from heavy-handed uh, revolution happening in another country to light-hearted romp to oh remember that revolution earlier? Yeah. It it's also at least for me the first time the movie um like the more I watch it, the more I enjoy the back half more because mm -hmm. there's any energy at all. In the back half of the movie, it feels like, oh, this could be stakes. There could be stakes here. <laughs> that like the actors who have been just speaking monotone for the whole three first three quarters of the movie actually start emoting. There's less and less um, walk and talk quips and jabs in the, the the white house cia stuff and they start to have some energy 
because they literally have to and they have no other choice. They just are required to. Yeah, no one, no one, no one like um like acted <laughs> for like a big <laughs> for a big piece of it. People like weren't acting. Like they ben were talking. A- ben Affleck had nothing. Yeah, they were talking. They were kind of just line reading. Even like the hostages for like a lot of it. Like they didn't really seem that scared. Like I wasn't terror coming from them. I, I... We talk about this a lot that everything is very matter of fact in the movie. Yeah. Everything is, it's all plot. There's no story yeah. or very little story. But yeah, everybody is underplaying for most of the movie. And I, I think it's intentional. I don't think they're acting badly. But everyone is very controlled and calm and bloodless for the whole movie, even when they are in danger. Nobody has any outburst except for Brian Cranston. Yeah, like it feels like they're not emoting and and it feels like they're downplaying it, but it feels like they're downplaying it in order to not feel unrealistic or not to alienate the viewer. But at the same time, you know, as a person, that you would be freaking out. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then on top of that, I think that maybe this is because it's my fifth time watching this, but or sixth time, we said. Yes. <laughs> Goodness. Maybe it's because it's my billionth time watching this, but, but I'm actually starting to feel for Joe, <laughs> who just wants to have a life with Kathy and feels bad for dragging her. <laughs> to Iran for the sake of like his career. I was like, oh man. Uh I, I think because I'm used to how flat the acting is, I'm starting to just recalibrate to <laughs> to only like <laughs> understanding emotions on that level. Cause I was like, oh man, like Joe's really talking about how he feels guilty right now. Um I was like, this is such a somber moment. It it is interesting. Like I I think part of it is um, a byproduct of how fast the movie is. Like it moves through plot like nobody's business. It just chops right through it, and uh, there's just not time. Like that scene where Joe is is having that breakdown, like you said about keeping his wife there. That lasts for what thirty seconds? Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even remember which person he was confiding to. I don't even know if he was confiding. Yeah. And I'm starting to learn the names of these characters, which really <laughs> He was he was confiding to Mark Lijek, but But yeah, and it's it's I'm starting to like notice like this whole this whole time I was watching, I was like, "Oh, wow, like I'm really noticing Joe and Kathy's relationship, like this little husband and wife team that sort of just agrees with each other through the whole movie." about how this is dangerous, how they're scared and how they shouldn't do anything. And they should wait until this all blows over. Like, I don't understand why there's, I mean, if you cut a lot of the Hollywood stuff, which they can't because it's vital to this movie's flow somehow, like it never stops to really let the cabin fever and the fear of the hostages boil over. Mm -hmm. Like we get one scene where Bob has gone outside and they're all like, Bob, you can't go outside, you idiot. And he's like, I, I, nobody saw me, which nobody makes sense. Nobody saw me. I was just smoking. Like, it makes sense. You'd have somebody in that situation go outside after, you know, over a month 
and everybody get mad at him. And he's like, it's good. It's fine. Cause he's been there too long. <laughs> there was a scene where they go into the crawl space from the dinner table because a helicopter flies overhead. Yeah. And since there's no sense of time and how, how long that they've been going back and forth between the dining room table and the crawl space. And there's no really taking notice of, the fact that a helicopter could fly over at any point while Bob is going outside and smoking his cigarette. I don't know. It, everything is really, really fast and, and, and slow. And it makes the, the quippy stuff and the Hollywood stuff stand out because it's, you know, funny mm-hmm. and it evokes any sort of emotion. Zing! But it makes the hostage stuff land so much less because you know when you've got all the quips and you've got Alan Arkin and John Goodman uh, just hamming it and having a lot of fun, who cares about Mark and Cora Lijek or Bob or Joe and what's Joe's wife's name? I don't remember. Kathy, Cat, Joe and Kathy or Lee. <laughs> Lee's name is Lee Schatz. What a name! <laughs> oh, what a name! I don't remember Kathy's last Love name, time. but I remember Joe's last name. Well, they have the same last name. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Hey, by the way, Nick, you had a lot to say about Alan Arkin. You want to, you just want to, you want to slide that in there? So the thing is, before I begin about Alan Arkin, I'm afraid that what you guys were saying right then was intentional. I am afraid (laughs) that they purposefully toned down the entire movie to make the Hollywood stuff better. Look at the lighting. It's nowhere and nowhere in Iran is there like any color anywhere. <laughs> Everything is gray and green and brown. In Hollywood, it's all bright and shit and it's sunny and everyone's dropping F bombs and, and being zingy. That's what uh, Jess was saying earlier. Basically, the whole movie, there was a zinger. I said zing. And it was so many fucking times that I said zing. It's because all from Hollywood or from the uh, the White House slash CIA. It's just a lot of that, and it's it's like I didn't need that. I, I I would rather you develop a character than throw in like this whatever zinger line. It's I don't know. Like there, there, I just didn't feel for any of the characters. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what they were trying to do. Like I didn't. Again, wasn't a lot of acting. It was all toned down. Or I guess not a lot of expression. There wasn't a lot of character. In yeah, general. yeah, yeah, not a lot of character. And I always really um, bond with the characters and stuff. So I really like character things. But but fuck me, Argo. I'd said say otherwise. most people do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Argo won Best Picture. Which still, I'm going to say that a lot in the recording. <laughs> yeah, Alan Arkin. Um, I don't know. He was fun, I guess. Um, then he said, Argo, fuck yourself for the fifth fucking time. <laughs> like that's that's actually like one of my notes uh, is just Argo, fuck yourself is funny once. That's what I wrote. And I guess it's funny <laughs> once in a certain situation. Like the first time he said it, it was funny or whatever. And then they said it like four or five more times. It's not it's not. It's not funny. <laughs> it's like it's like the movie like wants you to be on their side. Like the movie is like telling you that this is like the cool part. Like it's I, I don't know if y'all agree with this, but I got a strange like heist movie vibe from it. It's like, yes, because it's very yeah. much like here's the plan, and then they're like going to the Hollywood part because that was part of the plan phase. Um, 
basically, I guess, I guess it's just the whole movie prior to Iran is the plan phase. Um, um, and like, it's just them like fucking around. Even the music changes. Like we remarked on how the music just went from vaguely Middle Eastern to like a very like pop jazzy energy. Great point. The whole movie is washed out and and I think that's just I don't know if it's always Ben Argo's Ben Ar- Ben Argo. Ben Argo. Ben Argo. Ben We're Argo. keeping that. Ben Argo. <laughs> ben Argo. Ben It's always Ben Argflex uh directing style, <laughs> but but I Arthur I think I <laughs> I think the Hollywood stuff. I don't think the rest of it was toned down to keep up with the Hollywood stuff, but I think Ben Affleck was specifically like this Hollywood stuff is going to pop. It's specifically just saturated and bright and and light and funny. The dialogue, but, everyone's zinging around, like everything's yeah. flowing faster. Whereas in Iran, everything's somber. And and I mean, there is a lot of zings in the beginning of the movie with the White House stuff, too. But it's he, he slows everything down in the second half and you get a lot of actual tension, which is better. Wish there was more of it. I mean, I love Alan Arkin. I love John Goodman. I think they're fun. Feels like they're in a different movie. Yeah. Uh, just a quick. Just quick aside, Alan Arkin was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor for this oh, role. Come no, on. he was not. <laughs> no way. He no. absolutely was. Why? He was not. Jamal, you can't just keep doing this. Listen, I, 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 I'm sorry I did not reveal Alan Arkin has been nominated for Best Actor two times, Supporting Actor twice, once for Little Miss Sunshine, which he won, and once for Argo, which he did not win. Good. Um <laughs> I think Alan Arkin, as I will say many a time, national, national treasure, treasure, one of my favorite actors in history, amazing in many movies. Don't know why he would have gotten one for this. Like, I guess because he's the most fun one. He is the most That's fun like, character. Right? That has to he, be it because he's, he's not trying. He's just being he, Alan Arkin. He's just being Alan Arkin. And he's great, but he is just being Alan Arkin. And it doesn't I fit don't... with the movie, really. No, I mean, no. With the Hollywood segment it does, but none of the Hollywood segment fits with <laughs> anything else in the movie. But so. and even in the Hollywood segment though, like when uh they decide to keep making the movie. Yeah. Despite the fact that the mission has been canceled, not only is that a weird scene, but it's also it, it it's also just like why? That you never set out to actually do this. Why does that have to be a scene? Yeah. Yeah, why do the Hollywood guys care at all? Like, why are they kind of the main focus? It's not their at, money. At all, yeah. If I'm going to make a fake movie, it's going to be a fake hit. What? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. what. You don't have any, like, honor writing on it. You're not seen as, like, the honorable guy who, like, makes gems of movies. I think he's, like, still a producer of some renowned so he's like i'm not gonna make a movie that's obviously gonna suck because to hollywood this is a real movie that will fail to get made not Mm -hmm. a like fake but but even so it yeah it it feels very out of place and unnecessary also the scene where he says "Ah, i wouldn't let him shut me down is really weird because it's like he does yeah what do you what do you 
Like I guess mean? he he calls he calls upstairs. Oh, goes over Diop's head as he says. But is the idea that he got the the idea from Alan Arkin? And Alan Arkin is like, we're keeping this open. What are you talking about? For what? It's a money sink, right? Like, exactly. It's, like, it's what a, money is he using? I, I don't. I love the idea that they're just doing a long con of the CIA, and can he and Alan Arkin is just continually you is like, no, I'm going to drain this money. I'm going to use the CIA cash for as long as I can. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. He's like, I'm going to keep making this movie and keep collecting my checks. I'm going to do from the government. <laughs> oh, man. Because like, and that whole piece is just so pointless because five, not, not even five minutes later, you know, they go into, you know, whoever government official's office to pitch the idea as the best bad idea they have. And then they get approval. It didn't need to be there. It's very much like, uh, yeah, there's two, I don't know why there's two separate times the plan gets cut. And like the first time sort of happened. Like there was an issue where it got, the, the mission got canceled before he even left for Iran and then it was set up again. But so it kind of happened sort of like it happened the first time in the movie. But of course, there was no last minute cancellation and running chase where <laughs> the Revolutionary Guard nearly stops oh a Swiss God. airplane. Yeah, like they like take their guns out and they show like the, the, the like the um, the front wheel and tire of the airplane. Like you're not going to shoot this with an AK. They're not going to down a Swiss airplane. Uh Fuck off. I fully played into that, (laughs) hoping that you would believe that would happen. Yeah, I'm like, what? I I, I thought I remembered in the time, like, I I thought I even remembered them shooting at the plane. (laughs) And then, of course, it didn't happen. So then if that didn't happen, they're not going to be on (laughs) the tarmac and the (laughs) runway, like, trying to chase down this plane. Like it would be like an international disaster if they just like shoot a <laughs> civilian commercial airliner from Switzerland. <laughs> it's a confusing bit. I don't know. I I just I, I want to know how this movie, like the idea for this movie, happened when um the the op was declassified in the late nineties slash early two thousands. And someone was like, let's make this a movie. But at some point, it became a really specific pro-CIA thing, which I guess is common in Hollywood. But the CIA comes off as real cool in the movie. They're great. Well, I mean, I I don't know. They come off to me as more of a, like, really shitty boys club. Yes. (laughs) Which, for me, very much uh, is the sort of connection between, you know, this movie and Silence of the Lambs. Yes, I mean, yes, I think I think the difference here, and that's a wonderful segue, is that in Silence of the Lambs, that's the point. Yes. It's very much intentional. Silence of the Lambs, as I, I think it's a, just a great time to start talking about it. Thank you, Jess. I do what I can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> surprise- I can hear you patting yourself on the back. 
So anyway, uh, I, I didn't remember how feminist Silence of the Lambs was. I mean, you know, for the 90s. Honestly, I was yeah. very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, <laughs> Jonathan Penn. I was like, why does everybody remember the fucking Chianti line? Yeah. I guess this is a good time to say that we also watched Silence of the Lambs this <laughs> week. Yeah, if you could not tell by the title. We watched Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Dem, screenplay by Ted Talley, and of course, starring Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, what a performance. Oh my Very goodness. Good. A lot of uh, like fine facial acting. Um, with her. I mean, also like with uh, Hannibal and other folks, um, which Argo didn't do at all. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. No. But yeah, just like a lot of like, um, what's the word? Subtlety in that that you could pick up on. It's really great. It- Amazing. And so much of that movie, there's so much tension in the silence yes. of the lambs. Yeah. Just always. It, they, Argo it, is so nothing comparatively. <laughs> facts. It and it, everything about Silence of the Lambs, like the composition, it just feels so intentional compared yes. to Argo, wherein you find these scenes that you're like, why am I looking at Ben Affleck looking out a window? You know, why, why am I looking <laughs> like there's no purpose in that? No, there was definitely like some filler ones, some filler uh, content in Argo. Like, like again, like um, when you were counting the Chinese food boxes, <laughs> oh, beer yeah. cans in his single apartment. I'm like, okay, like he's single or depressed or something. And then it's like, and then what? Uh, just so it could be resolved in the end. So the end feels more. Yay, we won. Because he hugs his wife and is no longer surrounded by exactly six well-placed cans of beer and three Chinese food boxes. In silence, there are there are little moments in the movie. Jamal, would you like to explain uh, Silence of the Lambs? I unless you would like to, which you can. I'm going to hand that to you. Okay. Silence of the Lambs, based on uh, a Thomas Harris novel, um... Not the first movie uh, with Hannibal Lecter, but uh, the most famous. Stars Jodie Foster, young FBI trainee, joins the behavioral sciences unit to study mostly serial killers and repeat offenders, um, and gets drawn into the world of imprisoned psychiatrist and cannibal Hannibal Lecter in order to find a different serial killer, Buffalo Bill. Fresh (laughs) out of training, you know, fresh out of Quantico. She uh, interviews him, learns all kinds of things from him, and is manipulated by him slash manipulates him, depends on the time, and eventually catches Buffalo Bill. There's a lot more to it than that, of course, but it's a pretty great time. Pretty good movie overall, I would say. For God, it takes place in Baltimore. I didn't forget. <laughs> it's true. It is a Baltimore movie. Cool. Yeah. Actually, most of the a – big, a big part of the um, – Big part of the movie is not in Baltimore, but I believe this that the is, yeah. that the um, it's in the DMV area. A lot of it, though, Virginia. Yeah, uh, and uh, a lot of the Hannibal stuff was in Baltimore because or was set in Baltimore uh, because I think that's where the um, the facility was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed this while watching it. There's a lot of like it's a real East Coast backwoods movie. It like really there's is. a lot of grimy and or grungy old sort of small town coal country east coast like ohio baltimore mm-hmm. um of course baltimore is relevant to us you two are in baltimore right now right. Or close to it rather 
Um, please don't dox us. <laughs> uh, please don't dox us. All you have is our names and where we live and uh, our social media. Yeah, like the Ohio section especially. But yeah, there's a lot of there's it takes mm-hmm. place all over all over our area. And um, before I explain the movie, what I was going to mention was that there are little things in in Silence of the Lambs that don't connect to the overarching movie as much, but they feel real and interesting like her friends the bug guys yeah and ardelia her yes like, her literal friend uh and yeah. i love ardelia ardelia rules i feel like ardelia like is are there scenes cut with ardelia it seems she, like it because it yeah, seems definitely. like she's supposed to matter and i because I, she I, helps her yeah it's all it's like a bit <laughs> <laughs> not, not a lot. Not Some, a lot of dedicated scenes with Ardelia. It feels like it feels like she helped more in an extended cut somewhere. Yes, yes. And I think she was a, a larger character in the book, but I don't know for sure. Also, a female character with a female friend. Come on, guys! <laughs> in the year of our Lord, nineteen ninety-one. I'm screaming. Pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, in the year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Not everything's fine now. I kept forgetting Jodie Foster's accent. Like, like yeah. in between scenes, I would forget that the accent was there. And it was. Ooh, it was. Mm. It's a good accent. West Virginia, baby. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and Frankie Faison was here. Frankie Faison showing up as Barney, the um, the guard, I was like, whoa. Oh, that I did not notice. What I did laugh at was, oh, yeah, I forgot Jack Crawford wasn't Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> yeah, they're having a lot of other versions of these characters. And Scott Glenn's Jack Crawford, Jack Crawford is like just a little gross in a really good way. Like A it, little gross is a funny way of saying that. Yeah. I don't think he's aggressively gross. He's, he's just not. like gross. In, he's in just condescending. In signs of a Yes. I didn't get condescending. Could we? You might have to explain that one. Yeah, just, totally. Yeah, please. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, he constantly is supposedly trusting her and wants her to help uh, with this case. Um, but he doesn't treat her as an equal at any point in the movie. Um, and I understand, like, obviously understanding that she's an intern, right? And he used to be her teacher. But there's the levels to which he specifically tells her, you know, I could have told you about in in the first interaction with Hannibal when she goes in uh, under the false assumption that it's trying to get him to fill out a psych eval so that they could learn more about his, you know, mental state. When he comes back out, she, Clarice, played by Jodie Foster, says, uh, you know, to Jack Crawford, hey, you could have told me <laughs> that the purpose of this was to find out more information about Buffalo Bill. Um, and he basically says, no, uh, Hannibal's smarter than you. I don't, I would not have trusted you to do well in that mission. And then he consistently directs her in places that, directs her to go places that are not, near the information needed to solve the case um and ultimately that is a part of what puts him puts her in danger him just not wanting her near the credit yeah yeah there is definitely even um, the scene in the car 
Yeah. Oh, yes. He Especially he doesn't ever really treat her as an equal, and I'm not sure if the movie thinks he almost like. Mm. Nah, I don't know. It seems like the movie's mostly just saying you'll get there, kid. Situation like kind of like a protege mentor scenario. That's kind of the vibe I got. Maybe he was shitty at points. Like I I can agree with that, but. I don't know. I, I don't think the movie was like Jack Crawford's the cool guy. I don't really think they ever do that. He's not, you know, he he's, he plays a pretty monotone. He's, he doesn't have a lot of screen time, and he's not even particularly important. To me, it seemed he's not that important part of the movie, but I do think he comes across to me as just a little bit... A little bit condescending, a little bit superior. Same. There's some some hints that he's attracted to her, and that she might be attracted to him, but in a him in a weird sort of superior way. I mean, he is literally her boss. I don't know. I just think it's a it's definitely a, a low level thing. But I could see watching the movie and seeing it in either way. Going um, that like yeah. he's just a superior, or going he seems real shitty. So I, it's not that. And here's the thing: it's not that I'm saying he seems real shitty. I'm not saying he's a villain. I'm saying that he comes off as very condescending towards her, not just because he's an intern, but because she's a woman. And you know that really comes up in the moments where, in the moment where she literally uh, tells him not to undermine her in the car because other people are going to follow his direction and do the same thing. When the camera frames her in a room of male officers and she's trying to tell them what to do after he are, he said that she could not be privy to the information about the murder <laughs> because she's a woman. They couldn't discuss that in front of her. I think that those are the, the movie. It doesn't have to directly say that, He's being condescending because she's a woman to show that. I think there's a couple times in the movie where it shows a choice that he makes or a choice that is weird or potentially uh, potentially condescending. And that choice works, but it doesn't necessarily pass judgment on it, like not telling her that uh, she was trying to get more than a psyche eval from Hannibal Lecter. I mean, he has his justification that he that she would never have been able to trick him. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's not. We don't know. The movie doesn't point Tell out us. one way or another, which is good, I think. Or that, you know, or yeah. that. Um, it's nice that the movie doesn't pass judgment, but we definitely see through those like micro expressions how, you know, Clarice feels about it. So so, so what about Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> He's because there's a lot going on with. <laughs> there's so much happening. I I wrote down like every interaction for so much of it because I was just like, this is so. There's so much happening here. <laughs> it, have either of you seen this before? Yeah. Yes. Of okay. Okay. So we've all at seen least it. once. Yeah. Yeah. I just I honestly for me I was mainly just shocked by how feminist it was, especially for the time. Yeah, same. I did not see that coming because I don't remember that. I literally don't remember that. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I should take this seriously and take some more notes. 
So Anthony Hopkins' performance, right? Just mm. apparently iconic. No, I mean, not apparently. It's like a incredibly ref- commonly referenced performance. Seems like it was a huge deal mm-hmm. to like two generations above us, or like one, depending on how old. We um, also have a friend who still makes the fava beans and Chianti joke and makes the sound. Yes, we do. And we are relatively young audience. We are. So what I want to know is, he's not scary to me. Is he scary to you guys? He's just kind of, he's just kind of do. I mean, I think he's good. I think he, he's like, it's a really well done, captivating performance where he is extremely hammy in a good way. But like, he's not scary. And I think he scared people in 1991. (laughs) Nick, what do you think? Because I I didn't find him scary. I mean, it's kind of. I think it depends on the scary we're talking about. I mean, if I, I've heard this described as a horror movie, same. Yes. Um, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. It's in ninety. Would you say ninety one? Ninety one. Yeah. Before yeah. I was even born. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe it was, but I think it was definitely tension and I don't know, fear. Oh, definitely. It was definitely mm. tension as he manipulated her at various points. So, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think he definitely has power over her and everyone else, as you could see by him breaking out with... Like, Which was a, wild. A, like a piece of pen or whatever. Like, um, I don't know. He definitely knows way more than everyone else. And he's, tens- he's steps ahead of everyone else as he manipulates basically everyone. So I would say there's certainly an element of like fear and scariness there. But if we're talking about shock horror, I, I wouldn't say so. The gory parts could be scary to people. I am not particularly scared by gore. Other people are. They find it very unsettling. Yeah. So where is someone's face? That's pretty scary. I don't know. <laughs> that, re- that reveal. But when he bit that man, when he bit that man, that fucked me up. The face thing was wild, but it was the bite. Yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I think they were both good. I would reverse, though, because terrifying. I think him tearing off someone's fucking face within, like, six <laughs> inches of someone else as he, like, looks with, like, okay, like with, yes. like, a bloodlust in his eyes. Yeah, yes. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh no, yeah, that, that was, was amazing. Yeah, that oof. was amazing. Um, I'm also nightmarish. such a huge fan of the, um, the... The real diva energy to hanging that guy from the ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. Literally, I was so unfazed because when you watch the Hannibal TV show, it relies so much on that sort of of like decorated dead bodies, murderers that put that display people in some weird way that I was like, oh, it's one of those. It is really interesting to look at, I mean, Hannibal, which is quite a time, uh, the show, as having, like, being spawned off of really specific moments in this movie. Yeah, like the Wings episode was clearly based off of this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was specifically and directly based off of it. But there's definitely, in fact, I think it might have been the same character. I don't remember. Like, every now and then this movie has real strong, like, over-the-top, in a, in the best way, sort of visual elements of horror, and then the rest of it is is relatively subdued, and Hannibal the show is like, um, what if it's all that? What if we do <laughs> all of that? And it's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. And yet also, the Hannibal show does not star, like, Clarice, and it's some white dude, which I hadn't really thought about until yeah, I saw this again great. and was like, huh. Honestly, I didn't, I also made that huh sound because I was like, oh yeah, Will Graham is, like, not in The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. No. Like, no. Like, that character does not exist here. Yeah, he, he might. I mean, I'm sure he exists in the books. I think. Um, sure, like probably Red Dragon or something. But um, yeah, yeah, he's he's time. in Red Dragon, but he's not in um, uh, Silence. Yeah, I think it's also actually pretty cool seeing the difference between the two. Also, in that Hannibal the TV show, and I know we're supposed to be comparing to Argo, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Hannibal the TV. This show might be a mini sode or something. <laughs> Before, uh, <laughs> I know, right? Okay. It's also interesting that uh, Hannibal the TV show takes place before Dr. Lecter uh, is caught. And the Silence of the Lamb takes place after <laughs> Hannibal is caught. Um, and I still haven't seen season three of Hannibal, so don't like roast me. But yeah, I just, I just thought I noticed that and I was like, oh, yeah, huh. Hannibal is just always locked up. Um, in this movie, except for in the mo- except for in the frankly wild scene where uh, he breaks out, and I, yeah. I just couldn't even take my eyes away from the screen. Mm. Well, and 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 there's so much buildup where the movie is like, you know, this old, this normal looking old man, Anthony Hopkins, a pudgy like British dude, um, who just like with, draws or whatever. Yeah, he just like draws. He seems real like. Real sophisticated, nothing like these other... Everybody's so terrified of him, and you're like, okay, well, this I don't really get... Oh, that's why! Yep. Oh! Oh! <laughs> yeah, it's good. They keep it's alluding good. to it the whole time that you should be afraid, and they tell you little instances of why you should be afraid. Yes. Um, until it finally builds to, oh, this is why I should be afraid, which yeah. Argo doesn't do. Argo yeah. does not build. Argo builds to nothing. And the thing is, that kind of makes the end even more crazy. When he's like, I'm having a friend for dinner tonight. And Chilton is looking around like a fucking idiot. (laughs) Wait, where where was it? Not Um, It was in the Caribbean, I think. I want to say, for some reason, I want to say Havana, but... Yeah. My last note just says, eats Chilton. Also, I'm a big fan of of that final shot that goes on for the entire credits, and just some kid is riding around on a bike for yeah. like 20 minutes. It's Bimini. <laughs> it's Bimini uh, in the Bahamas. Okay, yeah, it's the Bahamas, and like okay. that's just you're just after all that. Chilton, who even before that clearly isn't as smart as Hannibal. Like he's he, he's a cuck. He's played. He plays it like a, <laughs> he's a cuck. He plays it like a cuck. You look at him. He's a cuck, and he's just he's not good. And and I think the show for whoever whoever's watched the Hannibal show, it's the same thing. It's played equally as well by like someone who's you know Chilton's smart technically, but he's not. He's like in over his head when it comes to Hannibal. I, and he doesn't I, even know that he's in over his head and yeah, that really sells it. Exactly. And he's he's looking around like an idiot um in the Bahamas and and you just see this force <laughs> to be reckoned with following him. And he's not far. He's like 15 feet 10. <laughs> he's way too close yeah. for what we saw yeah. in that breakout scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're just what? like, yeah, all right. Like, oh, dead. he's dead. Yeah, Chilton's dead. That's it. And that's all we need. 
<laughs> By the way, gotta say, Chilt Anthony held. He's so great in this. He's a fantastic Chilt. Yeah, yeah, he, he plays it well. Just a weird uppity, creepy dude. Yeah, kind of, kind of arrogant. Kinda, but you yeah. can tell. You could tell he's insecure deep down. Like it's he, he does it all. That like it, it's in the giant too, smile. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's just looking leering. like a weird Jim Carrey. Like, I don't know. Just look at that character, and then look at Argo. <laughs> like, look at anyone in Argo. He's such a colorful character. You, he doesn't need to say that he's insecure. He doesn't need to get dunked on that much in Signs of the Land for you to tell that he's like an arrogant, pompous guy who can't back it up. Like you could just tell with the way the actor does it, and just like you can tell by the way he walks that he's you know not a woman's man. It's really obvious. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> no time to talk. It, um, exactly. He never yeah. does. <laughs> it's definitely, um, you know, looking at the characters in Argo versus the characters in Silence of the Lambs, you really, it, Silence of the Lambs, you can see these characters having lives outside of the movie. <laughs> and in Argo, you know that they have lives outside of the movie, but only because they have that introductory scene in, in the, with the FBI where they're taking photos of them and they're like, this is how these people met and got married. <laughs> it's it, it's like, like there's such a I mean, this was like I said, this was not the first um, movie based on the on the Thomas Harris books, but uh, I definitely did better than, than the other one at it. Like you can see why there's been so many movies and sh- and you know a show, two shows now with Clarice, based on mm-hmm. this story and were really spawned out of this movie because it just makes you, it gives such an indication of a wider world. I want to spend more time with these characters and see what they're going to do. Whereas Argo, eh, good. Not so much. I'm good. No, uh, like, do I want no to see one, an Alan Arkin John Goodman spinoff? Like, where the well, where, well, where it's just <laughs> it'd be funny, you, but it'll. Suck. I mean, don't tempt me with a good time, but like, <laughs> but it'll suck. <laughs> it'd be pretty funny, but it, it but it, but it wouldn't be. It, it, it wouldn't be. It would be a one hundred percent different thing. It would be a Showtime TV show about yeah. the, like Hollywood, and you know. In and fact, I, I literally think Arlen, Alan Arkin was in one of those last year. But good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's just so much there. Oh, we haven't even talked about Buffalo Bill, who is creepy. And actually, before we talk about Buffalo Bill, I want to asterisk all the times we said that this movie is feminist with a yep. huge <laughs> yep. fucking asterisk mm-hmm. that says, uh, hey, um, there are feminist elements in this movie uh, <laughs> that does not remiss this movie from transphobia. <laughs> so I just want to throw that in the ring just to make sure that that's clear. Audience, you know that's clear. We know mm-hmm. that's clear. No misunderstandings here. Transphobia is bad. Surprisingly feminist movie. Also surprisingly transphobic Oof. And I, but I, I guess you can't in '91. You can't get them both. You, you mostly, you mostly get zero, and you can definitely, get more, but you're not getting both. I'm joking. And in '91, you're usually you're maybe getting the feminist one. You're really not getting a yeah. lot of great depictions of trans folk. What, what, in, uh, what was Buffy? 
Uh, Buffy, like the Buffy first was... like girl on girl kiss or something. Jesus. Or was that not Buffy? Maybe that was the maybe other, on uh, like I don't know. Maybe on. T- I mean, there there was a pretty. Um, I think that was in the nineties. That's why I there said. was a pre- was yeah. It was ninety two. Well, the movie was ninety two, but late nineties. It was definitely a a, a big early. Um, it was a big and very mainstream lesbian relationship and lesbian character in the in the show for sure. I don't know. Um, I wasn't watching lesbians on TV. I was reading lesbians in books. There you go. I was doing <laughs> either. Um, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but Buffalo Bill has some, shall we say, problematic elements. Uh, none of that is the fault of the actor Ted Levine, who is quite good. Weird that he's on this and Monk. Crazy that he's on this and that Monk. That does not make sense. He's certainly an unsettling character, but not all of the reasons were intentional. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where they kind of offhandedly mention that oh, well, he's not really trans. And that's, like, not good either. Yeah, they're like, he's not trans. He's just, like, really mentally messed up. And I was like, ooh, okay. Yeah, it's it's like you can't uh, can't dismiss that. In the book and the movie, there are multiple times where a character is like, quote, he's not a real transsexual. Ooh, and it's like okay, it so feels like you're term, using yeah. that term. It feels like you're covering your ass a little bit. It definitely huh? okay. Honestly, I was like, from the time that this movie came out, why is there a like, what is it a a CYA? <laughs> why is there like a CYA like cover your ass moment when you like say something inappropriate in front of your boss? Like, why is that in this movie? Well, the thing is, is that it sounds. I mean, it was. Like a pretty feminist movie in other respects, as we were saying before. Maybe it was maybe, incidental. Maybe he thought he was woke. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's he like, I died. got this. Like he can't, but he, but he really didn't. <laughs> it's like they're like, he's not really trans, but then ah, he's just like, there's so much. He knew he had points for feminism. He's like, let's see if I can cash this in for trans stuff too. Oh. He re- he then realized he could not. And it was, it did not turn off good, uh, turn out good. Like that scene where he's dancing and in the butterfly sort of get up is very clearly supposed to be horrific. Like, Mm -hmm. or not horrific, but it's supposed to be unsettling. It's the one people remember generally. Yes. Yeah. The I'd fuck me line is pretty, that's, which is in that scene. Like it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like. big one. I don't think, that's not the problem with Buffalo Bill. It's that's really fine. I would say the problem is the murdering. I would say that's the creepy part, really. But, you know, and it's unfortunate because, like, buried under this weird mess, there's a really interesting idea of a deeply misogynistic character who is killing women to try and create the perfect version of one that he can yeah. become. Yeah. But it's, it's not explored at all. No. Um, and. And I think that you're absolutely right when you say that there's a, there's that angle of like, oh, this is just misogyny. Yeah, yeah, he's just and, and to be and the movie does say that, but after it calls him not a real trans person, it's like, wow. 
it, like if he was just a you know serial killer who was ki- killing women um, and taking pieces of their bodies to make this like quote unquote perfect female body sewn together, right? That's all they would have needed. Yeah. It still would have been scary and shocking. And and so much of his mo is based on real serial killers. I mean. Like Ed Gein and, and Ted Bundy and Jerry Brudos off the top of my head, but like those are, you know, all real. You you don't have to add this element here. But what have, what would have his motivation been? Why would he want to make that? I mean, he can still want to I wanna make kill a- women to create a perfect one. He can even want to become that perfect woman. Mm-hmm. It's just the the so much of the so much of his character is specifically designed to evoke uh, countercultural like subculture elements like his his um his nipple ring and the music he's playing and of yeah. course the I'd fuck me tuck scene yeah. and like so much of it is supposed to or it seems like it's supposed to evoke the unsettling scariness of like gay clubs in the 90s i guess yeah yeah um, and it's like why is that you don't need that we like, don't need it, so much of it screams. This man is too feminine. You should be afraid. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, Feel it's just, fear. Yeah. It's just that you guys were saying like, oh, we'll just don't have it. He just is making a skin suit out of women. It's like, all right, well, why yeah, is he no, making a skin can... suit out of women? Like you can't, you can't really like make it not tra- a trans thing if that's happening. Cause it's clearly like his end goal. I don't know. I've seen, I feel like American Horror Story did something like that where the guy was uh, doing stuff with like bodies, but I think it was more of a mom thing. Yeah, season two, I think. Mm-hmm. Like the lamp, yeah. Yeah, Asylum. Yeah. I think if you divorce it from quote-unquote like gay culture and you move yeah. him away from he's this sort of somewhat effeminate gender bending character and made him sort of like, if you like really, you would not have to do that much is the thing. I feel like you cut, you change the way he's depicted and you cut some of the lines about gender dysphoria and such. Mm -hmm. I think you could work something like that. Or, or if you wanted to go the opposite route, you could go really into it and you could make a story about how, among other things, uh, society's refusal to accept and support trans people helped, among many other things, abuse and misogyny to create a murderer and a killer. But you would have to make the movie a lot more in depth and interested in that. And the movie is not the movie is only interested in trans identity as it relates to this, um, murder guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interested in it as a vehicle for the relationship between Hannibal and Clarice. I was going to talk about the moth stuff, which is really creepy. All the, the moths bit and the metamorphosis bit and how, um, how his whole house is such a wonderful, bit of set design and it's so evocative and scary and weird yeah. and how nothing in Argo is like that. The bizarre scene in Argo struck me this time because it is so clearly shot as like there are eyes everywhere and it's scary and tense, but one, it doesn't feel that tense. 
because I think a lot of the tension is supposed to come from the fact that it is a bizarre. And I don't think that's just a bizarre. I don't know. It's just, it's just a marketplace. Yeah. Whereas even the parts of Buffalo Bill's house that are not his insanely huge dungeon Mm. are kind of weird. I mean, look at the first floor, the first fucking floor when Clarice goes in. It's like this like shitty, run-down, uncleaned kitchen. And yeah, like and, and he has no room. socks and Yeah, it's gross. Like it's like a gross It's house. genuinely a gross house. Yeah, definitely. And then like you didn't even get and then that's like the front. <laughs> that's the front <laughs> that's the front for the, the the evil basement shit. It's like no. Then you this- get to um uh, this is a this is a side this is a, a real tangent and I just want to go down it really quickly. The fuck are his contractors who built a no. giant murder basement that is bigger than the house? Yeah. It is so huge. There's like ten rooms down there. It, it's Honestly? like an it, it's it's an iceberg situation. Like it it, is. you have the small house and then you have the dungeon and under dungeon and then the pit. It's a lot. There was so much there. I, the movie said, don't think about it. The movie said, suspend your disbelief. It makes sense. Definitely. And it does not make sense. Definitely. It's also, I guess, kind of symbolic of like the serial killer himself. It's like, oh, he seems fine, but you know, you have all this deep down, deep, gross, dark stuff under the surface, you know, and, I don't know. It's I'm I'm not saying like, you know, there's probably quite a few houses in Ohio like that. No. Like <laughs> it's just I don't know. It's a it's a fuck it's a fucked up super dungeon and that and and that's that. And yeah. The reason why I I feel like I was unable to suspend my disbelief about how big uh his like under dungeon was <laughs> was because when the when Clarice is like fumbling through <laughs> this big yeah. under dungeon yeah i love that scene it was so good and it was such a good scene but there but there was a point to which i just was like girl you wildin', you need to not be what are you doing exactly <laughs> but that makes the tension right that she's just like she walks oh. in and like he like makes a run for it then she goes down the steps and like there's and just, there's just like space after space after space. Yeah, there's like all a pit. There's like like the workshop. Like that's one yeah. thing I really wanted to mention on this um, is that if you know, like once she walks in through the front door, every scene is darker than the one before it. Yes. Like it's gray and yes. gross up top. Goes downstairs. It's dark. It's lit for the pit when he finds the girl. I can't remember her name, but then. Basically, every door she walks through is darker than the one before, and that's great. I love that. Like and just all the lights going. literally go out, and then yeah. there's nothing. Honestly, when the lights went out, that's when I think I was. I I I think that that's when when she, when whenever she went into like I think when she went into the den, I I was just like. It, it was it was great and it was done well, but there's just like the part of me that's like like as an audience, like you know when you watch a horror movie and you put yourself in the place of a character, right? You're like, don't do that, don't. Th- yeah, there was a part of me that was just like, 
done with her. Why are you like down here looking all all wild, breathing all heavy? You better sit the fuck down. Yes. <laughs> I was just like the, the second the second she chases him into the basement. I was like, do she not do that immediately. I am like, what? No, call backup. What are you doing? Call I was backup. Like, I was literally like, pretend nothing's wrong and leave. Walk away. Um, I do love I like, that the only not. reason she finds Buffalo Bill is because she's following information. Uh, I mean, partially it's it's from Hannibal, but she's also looking into uh, his first victim, Frederica, I think her name is, um, mm-hmm. and finds stuff about his past because one, it's similar to her town growing up, and two, she's interested in the first victim's life. And fi- and that's how she finds out that she knew Buffalo Bill, something mm-hmm. that uh, Scott Glenn and the almost entirely male FBI has totally missed. Yeah, because she was actually interested in the personhood of the victim. Yes. Yes, it was a really nice bit. And also, man, Buffalo Bill whiffs it, huh? He really, <laughs> he, he really does. blows that. It's not a single action revolver. He could have just pulled the trigger. Yeah. Neither, well, okay. I didn't remember him dying that fast. I didn't remember his um his anything about his uh night eye night eye vision. No. Night eye what is it? The Infra- night vision? You don't remember night the goggles? Yeah. I didn't remember the goggles. Boy Damn. are they goofy. Oh, they I so love goofy. it. He looks so goofy. Amazing. To me. And then he just watches her. He just watches her. For so killer, what are you doing? He's just like, let me just watch. Let me get up real close. We get up a little closer. What if I got up a little closer? What if I cock this that gun? Cool. Literally one inch from that her was skull. Cool as hell. I'm not saying it wasn't. Cool. It was cool, and it was, and there was a lot of tension. It's just, I think you can have both. I think it can yeah. be goofy. I, I can find it that part goofy that he waits so long. Definitely. But also, it's scary. I mean, I yes. couldn't believe he was dead. I was like, wait, that's not how it ends. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not how this goes down. And then it transitioned scenes, and I was like, well, fuck. I guess that is how it goes down. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's also because a lot of things nowadays. Like people get shot and stabbed a thousand times and still have yeah. the like the dumb inner strength power to keep moving. Like it doesn't make sense. Just for like, the interest, it would of certainly the show. just get shot three times and go down and cough on blood. Like that's what would happen. Like it's yeah. Not, like it's, it's just you like know. you're not used to seeing that um, happen that way. Yeah, certainly a much better time than Argo. Uh, oh. Just yeah. Uh, pretty pretty overtly we would ask you but the answer is clear this movie passes the argo rule it does (laughs) it definitely passes the argo rule nick did you have a highlight for argo i was gonna say brian cranston because he like tried the most i think brian cranston put in the most but even still like there were plenty of scenes where he was just kind of on the phone or like (laughs) you know and then that's not his fault but you know, I think I think he was he was you know he definitely was doing his best, um, more than anyone else was anyway. He definitely it, it is definitely wild, and like looking at his the two scenes where he decides to go hard, he's just like, well, I guess now I'm gonna lose it. Uh, you know what? There there is a highlight, but it's a negative one. 
<laughs> Let's Argo, go for it. The smash cut of the monologue of the one Iranian woman talking about <laughs> executing <laughs> Americans this while also a line reading of this stupid Argo movie <laughs> and the dumb droid <laughs> saying stupid C-3PO shit. They're such poor taste. What? Why did they do that? It wasn't played as funny. And I, I, maybe it was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be like, look at how little this matters. But actually, in this one case, doesn't it matter? Yeah. Uh, and it's and like, oh. And I, I guess I'm thinking about it now. It could have also given the vibes like, all right, Iran, what a serious fucking situation this is. And then you smash cut back to the idiots doing the line reading. You're like, this is their best option. And I guess that's kind of supposed to evoke like, wow, what a dire situation this is. But it, <laughs> the way yeah. it, it just didn't, it, it, the whole thing was somber. It didn't play off that way. It just played off as like a, a poor taste. They're comparing them. <laughs> like, this isn't good. Exactly. There's <laughs> no like, just, clear I, link. I don't know. I guess that's what they were going for. That's my best guess. But, but the fact that you have to guess means that it wasn't portrayed uh, as well as it could yes. have been. And it was one of the longer shots in the movie. It really uh, was. Or cuts. It uh, lasted so, so long. The director cared, that's for sure. Ben Affleck. We see you, Ben. It's true. Ben Affleck. Yeah. Beth, Beth, Arf, Barf, Beth Arthur Arf, Flick. Um, Bafflo. Jess, did you have an Argo highlight? An Arg light? <laughs> an Arg light? The Arg Light uh, Theater. As we've continued to watch Argo over and over and over again, uh, I think my my highlight uh, <laughs> for this time was uh, the man who, who at the beginning of the movie picks up the smoke bomb and throws it back. <laughs> like he picks up the smoke bomb. It's got to be really hot. And he picks it up barehanded. And just throws it right back. Um, And I know that those things are hot because uh, there were uh, protests um, in America over the summer of last year. Hmm? (laughs) Um, Which which, which year do you mean? Could have been any one in the last 10. Could have been any year. Yeah, but like what city had those protests? (laughs) I don't know. I can't really think of any city in America that had them. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and uh, so in those nondescript protests, uh, <laughs> there were smoke bombs and things thrown at uh, protesters, um, and you know I read a lot of protest guides and uh, just learned that those things are rather hot. So shout out um, to barehanded guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what a ch- what a champ he is. Honestly, what a fucking champ. Uh, what what about uh what about your highlight, Jamal? Is it Cass um, Anvar? It seems like it's Cass Anvar. Woof! It wasn't, but jeez. Oh I God. I swear I didn't realize it was actually Cass Anvar. Yikes! Do you want to say um, uh, who it was in the yeah. movie? Okay, so so at the end of the movie, there's a scene where uh, what. Uh, one of the many scenes in the airport, one of the guards that's tr- trying to get a hold of the um, air control tower on the on the phone is a guy who looked a lot like Cass Anvar. And I'm pretty sure, like every time I've watched this movie recently, uh, f- uh, all six of them, I have thought, man, that looks like Cass Anvar, who is an actor 
most recently known for um, The Expanse, the TV show, and also for being Me Too because he's a creep. Um, and, I, and I think, hmm, that looks like Cass Hanvar. And I Googled it, and it, I thought it wasn't Cass Hanvar. Couldn't see him on IMDb. Every time I think, oh, that's that guy that looks like Cass Anvar, and it's not. No, I just missed it. It is Cass Anvar. <laughs> it's it is in the credits. Yikes. Gr- happy that I get to see Cass Anvar, who does not elicit a positive reaction from me, um, up to 79 more times. My highlight for this watch of Argo, there's a, there's a reporter, like actual archival footage, who's interviewing the um, Ayatollah Khomeini, and... He tries to phrase it just as perfectly as he can. And he goes, there are some, and I apologize, Imam, these are not my words who would call you a lunatic hard cut. (laughs) (laughs) Instant cut. Just uh, just a a lunatic instantly gone. I love that. That hit me like a truck this time. (laughs) Just the way he builds it up so much and then... With the the just the hammer comes down, a lunatic. Oh, God, it's done. Oh boy. Well, uh, Nick, anything else you would like to mention about Argo or Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, just a quick thing. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting pick between these two because Silence of the Lambs. I guess I mean it's a rough statement. You could say is two movies. You have like the Buffalo Bill part. And you have the uh, Hannibal parts, you know. That's uh, true. But, but Ooh, they actually mesh together, <laughs> as opposed to the dumb Hollywood segment in Argo and the uh, Iranian Revolution part. Like, I was going to say, there is a weird point. Like, uh, Hannibal Lecter takes up so much of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when he is not directly related to some of it. And there is just a solid 20-minute section of the movie that is just about him escaping and nobody else. Which is amazing. <laughs> Which is an amazing connection to Argo, actually. Yes, but it feels it, it, it fits it so well in tone. Just like you said, it meshes. Yeah. Comparative to the Hollywood scene, which is a totally the opposite tone and stands out like a sore thumb, which is intentional, but I don't think successful. Yeah. 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 Definitely upon looking at the Hollywood part, it's just, it doesn't have to do with anything. You kind of could just cut it pretty much. Um, If they said they're making a sci-fi movie and you just don't have the useless Hollywood shit, then. I don't quite know if you could. I don't quite know if you could cut it just because so like so much of it is about the the worst bad idea. But the problem is the movie doesn't have that much of a, of an identity. So exactly. Yeah. That's all it has. Yeah. Yeah, It just, I mean, it doesn't have like, it's just kind of plot. Yes. There is no story. There's nothing really going on. It's trying to tell a story. I don't know. It's just, I guess silence, silence, has so much thematically and yeah. so much in tone. It has messaging. That's yeah. another word I was looking for. Yes, yes. There's yes. no message or theme to Argo. Yes. Uh, maybe because it's like a historical piece or whatever, but I don't know. I didn't see. Yeah, there's no end goal like that you're supposed to take away from it. There's no mm-hmm. like morale. There's no, the, the, the film doesn't take any moral stances. Um, It doesn't. Yeah. 
try to shade any character or it, it tries to appear as neutral as possible, even though it's very clearly not. Um, and therefore it kind of loses any sort of messaging it could have. Yeah. It's got no bite. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no positionality. Whereas in silence of the lambs, you see um, a lot of opinions in the framing of various scenes. Yeah, and like, th- there's some tension in Argo, but anytime there's tension, and I, I, I worry that this is because Jess and I have seen it so many times, but you, uh, you and many other guests agree, Nick, that that there is tension, but only when the movie is specifically going out of its way to generate it, only in the last, I don't know, certain times in the last half hour. Yeah. Is there any energy or spark? Whereas there is no scene in Silence of the Lambs that is not tense and a little bit oppressive and portentous, except, you know, maybe for the very end, because the the theme is so is so paramount, it's so strong, and it envelops the whole movie that you're always thinking about it. You're never just letting the movie happen. You're always engaged in the horrors that are happening and feeling for the characters. So it it just keeps you hooked, even when what is happening at this very moment is not exactly scary. Yeah, even when things aren't the most interesting in Silence of the Lambs, there's that level of discomfort because you're Uh feeling what Clarice is feeling, being a woman in a male space. I, it like everyone it every like the way that the camera is framed yeah. it just looks like everyone is constantly leering at her yeah yeah she's yes. always shown as she, shorter than other people exactly always. she's yes. always smaller there's always more people than her um yeah. and also there's like the people who outright do like full head spins to like look at her yeah uh because the film takes uh great pains to be intentional and make sure that we feel the feel that discomfort. It maintains that nervous energy, yeah, um, in a way that Argo, which should have nervous energy because of the stakes presented, but there's less intentionality to each frame, so yeah. it just doesn't have it. Yes, yeah, they just and- they just show you like a shot of the six people crowding around a TV, and I'm like, all right, I get it. Like I get that shit's going down in Iran. Like, I get it, <laughs> but the characters aren't doing anything, right? They're so, watching TV the same way I am. Yeah, yeah, they're just sitting in front of a TV and kind of, like, got the, their head in their hands or whatever shit. Uh, it's not it's Argo. Not Argo is a movie that can make a, a crowd breaking into an embassy feel strangely inert. And Silence of the Lambs is a movie that can make a woman looking in a storage container feel like gripping. You could even, feel like, even the- when she had to slide under the door to the store. Yeah, room. yeah. You're like, I'm oh. like shit. And the guy was just weird. I'm yeah. like, is the guy is weird. And is he gonna close it weird. behind her? Like exactly. Like is she? She gave him his card. I was literally. I was while yeah. watching it. I was like, man, being in a, t- a detective. At that time, oof. No cell phones. I mean, this is a movie that made us so sympathetic to the FBI. Stop. 
the opposite. The way that the way that these movies did opposite things here. We were like, oh, poor Clarice, FBI agent. <laughs> As opposed to Argo, where we're like, CIA, nope. That's awful. We're, we're watching like arguably the most likable CIA agent in history, and we're like, eh, I like I guess. We're like, we <laughs> love a Clarice and Ardelia. <laughs> Clarice, Ardelia, look at these, the, look, we stand these people who are joining the apparatus of evil. Whoop, whoop. I think that's about it, right? Yeah, that's about it. So, um, <laughs> let's close out, let's close out our episode here. Let's close out our episode. Thanks let's everybody for reiterate. listening. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Do not dox us. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. It's Thanks been a for blast. having me. So much. Thanks for having me, you too. Spending was, uh, the last three hours, four hours with us. Yeah, no, it, was a, it was a hell of a time. Uh, uh, Nick, do you have anything to promote? <laughs> any plugs, any social media, anything you want to, you know, any vaccines you want to rep? Nope, I'm none, screaming. definitely none. None, zero <laughs> percent. And that's okay. that. Good to, t- <laughs> good to none, know. None at all. Jess, where can we find you as always? Uh, as always, you can find me at Just the Remix on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I have a TikTok. Uh, don't worry about that, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to post on there. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I have a TikTok, but don't worry about it. I don't know what to I mean, post technically, I'm Jamobi Berenger on stuff. I don't post anything, but listen to my other podcast, Hayden Await. That's also on things. Uh, I think that's it. Thanks, uh, everybody. See you next time. See ya. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bad editing, maybe? Hey, everyone. It's Jess. Thank you for joining us in our conversation today. Did you think Silence of the Lambs passed the Argo rule? Share your thoughts with us by following at the Argo rule on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And let us know what you think. All Systems Argo was edited and processed using Alitu and Audacity. The music in this episode was 13 by Cathedral of Chemical Equilibrium. All Systems Argo is produced by Ian White, Jess Hassell, and Jamal Berenger. A big thank you to Ian for their editing work on this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.